With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. This is an exclusive interview we've done with former Rangers player Joey Barton, and we don't want anyone to steal it. I'm just kidding, of course, and but I'm not kidding that my name is Craig Telfer. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today because we're not going to talk about football. We're going to talk about pop culture. And who better to discuss it with than three of the biggest culture vultures since... Uh, the, the vultures in uh, the Jungle Book that come in at the end. Um, the, the first is someone who looks like he's recruiting for ISIS. It's Craig Fowler. Hello. The second one is someone who also looks like he's recruiting for ISIS. It's Duncan Mackay. Hello. And the third man looks like Toby Young. It's Andy Harrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the worst thing anyone's ever said about me. That is, that's that's a massive thing. insult, isn't he? Toby Young yeah. is a fucking belling. Yeah, he really is. He, he really does seem like a, a thoroughly, thoroughly unpleasant guy. But listen, we're not here to, to to slag off bald people that wear glasses. We are here to talk about some of the the more interesting things that we've been watching during lockdown. How are the three of you finding the last uh, four or five weeks? Hey, I'll go first. I, I, I'm perfectly happy with this uh, setup, uh, with the exception of not seeing like mates and uh, having contact with other people other than my wife. It's just I quite enjoy uh, lazing about the house. I like working from home. I prefer it than working in the office, and I like watching loads of stuff on the telly and listening to podcasts and listening to music. So I'm quite chill about everything. No, no contact with other people, Fowler. Some of the stuff you've put in the group chat would suggest otherwise. <laughs> Like grass. 
I'm not. I'm not grasping. I. I am just searching for the truth, and I am not finding it. And from your end, and Pilton, Duncan, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a bit of a surreal time, isn't it? Dealing with it, but not loving it. Duncan, we're on Zoom just now. Whereabouts are you recording your podcast? It looks like a utility room. No, it's a bedroom that we have in the house, but it's filled with uh, stuff for our our wedding that is now not taking place uh, next weekend. Right, okay. The the thing over your shoulder kind of looks like a big uh, bucket of tampons. Uh, No, well, there's a Johnny Cash um, picture, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what else those things are. Boy, Andy, it must be most difficult for you. You've got a young child. You must be going out of your head. You're going to be like Jack Nicholson in The Shining shortly. I've got that. I've got that. Uh, I've got a print of that actually. Uh, the all work no play thing, but uh, not. Is, is that Look every day for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, he's, he is my inspiration. Uh, Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining. Uh, it's, to be honest, it's it's probably easier because we didn't do anything anyway. Uh, we didn't have our social life. Uh, we were just doing everything based on the sleeping schedule of our baby, anyway. So, not really that much <laughs> that much different for us. The only thing is, we don't get a break from the um, grandparents coming for uh, to give us a an hour or two now and again. But otherwise, it's fine. It's uh, not any problem at all. Oh, good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, Andy. That's uh, that, that that's nice. Now. What we're going to do, as, as most people know, uh, myself and, and Craig Fowler and, and Duncan, in fact, Andy, in fact, we've all, we've all contributed massively to A View from the Terrace. What we're going to do is adapt some of the ideas that you see on A View from the Terrace and adapt them into movies, music, books, and cinema. And we're going to start off with This Is My View. And I'm going to go to you, Duncan. What is your view? So my view is... Uh what I've discovered on lockdown is lots and lots of multi-episode documentaries could do with a ruthless editor. Um, I think from the Tiger King was too long, even the first two episodes of uh, The Last Dance, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, as part of the show, is quite slow, cumbersome. You know, Not everything needs to be a Ken Burns documentary. You don't need to to cover absolutely everything. Uh, and you know, there's the old uh, showbiz adage that you, know, you should always leave them wanting more. There's an awful lot of documentaries on streaming services that are just because they have the bandwidth, they're giving you everything, and maybe sometimes you don't actually need it. It's quite interesting you say it, Duncan. I started watching Louis Theroux over the, the lockdown. I'd only ever seen a couple of episodes before, to my shame, and, and then went and watched pretty much most of his uh, back catalogue. Uh, fantastic. I, I couldn't recommend Louis Theroux stuff either. I imagine everyone else has watched it already. But his interview with Joe Exotic from 2007, I felt as though I learned as much from, from that, about 20 minutes of a, of a broader interview with, with sort of like these Americans that, that keep exotic animals. I learned more. Well, as much from the 20 minutes that Joe Exotic featured as you did in the, the whole of uh, Tiger King. I know that Tiger King is quite an interesting story in terms of like the, the cult-like following some of these people had, the, the Carol Baskin and, and Don Lewis the subplot, the um, Joel, Jeff Lowe, was that the, the, the sort of the bad guy yeah. in it? There was, there was a lot of interesting subplots, but it did at times feel a little bit flabby. <laughs> I think you're right in terms of judicious editor. Could have you could have knocked about two episodes off, maybe. Yeah, at least. And I don't know if anyone uh, has watched the like the follow-up episode they did with um, uh, Josh McHale or whatever, the guy from Community. 
Joe McCarthy, absolutely dreadful. Totally yeah, slow everyone's time. Bad, bad reviews. I was no interest in, in I'm no interest in seeing people do Zoom calls uh, just talking over the top of one I didn't mind the, the last episode. Uh, if you just kind of if you, if you were looking for anything that was similar to, to you know the Tiger King documentary itself, I think you were gonna be disappointed because it is just him doing Zoom calls everybody. But I th- I thought there was a little, a few little nuggets in there that made it worthwhile a watch. But it's, yeah, it seemed a bit. It's, it's kind of what they do a lot these days, and it kind of comes from, like, it, it, it comes out of like reality TV stuff because they get this all the time. Where like the, the the housewives seasons, the Real Housewives, every single one of these seasons ends with them all sitting around couches talking about what the, the show, what happened on the show in the last season. And I think it works quite well for that format. They ones always seem actually the best ones rather than the kind of, well, the ones that seem the least fake anyway because they're all kind of sitting in a room and, you know, there's no editing and no stuff kind of set up for them to go into. But it's kind of taken for that. And it, but it just seems to have bled into other stuff now where after everything you need to have everybody sitting around having a conversation about it. And I mean, that's fine for podcasts and stuff, but I don't really quite get it for TV. And you get it with a lot of stuff. You've seen it for The Irishman. You saw it with uh, El Camino on Netflix. They brought out like 20, 30 minute kind of short interview stuff where they talk to the cast about making the movie. And it's like, I'm not that interested in that. You see that a lot though, Phil. That's not just a decent advent. You see if you're to buy like a... But I mean, I've got, I'm going back here to buy a DVD. You know, some of the, the bonus features in the DVD would be behind the scenes stuff and interviews with cast, almost like a mini documentary about the, the making of the movie itself. So that's not necessarily a new phenomenon. And I suppose, though, if you, if you do have a genuine interest, a real passion behind it, these can be quite illuminating and quite enlightening as to the creative process about how, how these were made. I don't necessarily think that would work on some like Tiger King, the, the sort of bonus episode, I'll confess to not having seen it, but having seen the cast that were in it, it was a lot of the sort of the more lightweight members of the show. So it wasn't like you wanted Joy Exotic in there, for instance, and you, you weren't really going to get him. Fowler, since, since you're uh, looking at me quite pensively, what is your view? How have you been handling the lockdown? Uh, my view is that Cog Skull Island is the best bad film of the last five years. So I watched this quite recently on Netflix. It was, I tend to, my Netflix viewing tends to be that I have loads and loads of movies on my list and I end up just watching the ones that are about to expire quite soon. <laughs> so that's how generally I decide what to watch at any one point. And this was about to expire, so I thought, right, I'm not even that fussed about seeing it, but I'll, I'll stick it on and see what it's like. I think I was hungover as well. So it was like, this, this seems like a decent hangover film. Uh, and it was, it was, it was brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, first of all, the visuals are absolutely stunning. It's like it's done as like kind of a homage to Apocalypse Now, and they they really go out to try and recreate a lot of that scenery uh, in this kind of secluded island in the middle of you know the Pacific or or Atlantic or whatever it is. And it was it actually it was some of the, the the kind of scenes they set were so kind of stunning that I'd actually wished. In retrospect, I really wish I'd actually went to see it at the cinema because it is a kind of daft film that I quite enjoy going to the cinema and just mindlessly munching on popcorn while I'm watching it. Uh, thankfully, my telly's decent enough that I could still get a bit of that experience at home, but not, it's not quite the same thing. And what makes it... I mean, obviously, it's a daft premise. It's a, it's about a, a group of you know soldiers. And, it's a giant monkey. Yes, yeah, go, going going to, <laughs> to fight the giant monkey. At this base level, you break it down to fundamentally what it is. It's daft. 
There's, there's no getting away from that. There, there's, you cannot escape the fact that King Kong, by its own virtue, is a bit far-fetched. Yes, exactly. But what makes, uh, what makes it probably objectively bad is that tonally it's a bit all over the place. So you think you're watching a different movie until John C. Riley turns up and then you actually realise that you're watching a comedy. So there's a, there's a few kind of comedic parts at the start, but it's a kind of... It's the, it's the kind of banter back and forward between some of the soldiers under the under the rank of Samuel Jackson, and I thought it was just setting them up to like have this this back and forth so that they would appear arrogant or ignorant into the danger they were going into, and then John C. Reilly turns up and for that point forward you realise oh this is they're actually just trying to make this a comedy because he is just like he's off the set of a World Fell World Feral film. Uh, but he's generally hilarious with just about everything he says and somehow also manages by the end of it to be the kind of emotional heart of the movie as well. But if, John C- if at that point you realise that it's a comedy and John C. Reilly proves that, uh, nobody told Samuel L. Jackson this. He's in a completely different movie to everybody else. He <laughs> is he's just serious Samuel L. Jackson all the time. But in itself, that's a good thing because you like Samuel L. Jackson doing Samuel L. Jackson things. And it's despite the fact that you have two characters that seem to be in completely different films, that just kind of adds to the fun of it all. It adds to the absurdity. It's quite interesting you talk about John C. Reilly. One of the best movies, one of the best movies I've ever seen, and it's one movie that I thought was amazing, but I've absolutely no appetite to ever go and see it again, is we need to talk about Kevin. Because I think that is a, that is a genuine, that's a horror movie. You know, that is a very, very deeply unsettling movie. And the fact that, that John C. Reilly plays the husband in it, there's an, it sort of breaks that suspension of disbelief because a lot of the time you're used to seeing him things like Step Brothers. Um, you see him in uh, like Holmes and Watson, for instance. He, he's associated with Adam McKay and, and um, Will Ferrell. And when you see him in that, he's, he's good in it, but he's just, he just got a big face. He's just got a big daft face that really lends itself well to comedy. And that he sort of breaks that, that, that level of tension. It's, it's credit, actually, to how good a film it is that John C. Reilly's presence doesn't disrupt it uh, too badly. So would you would you say, though, that, that Kong Skull Island, would you recommend it? Would you would you, you encourage people to check it out? I, I would thoroughly recommend it. There's also, for any, one other thing I really liked about it as well, for any, which you need for any kind of disaster or monster movie, or a movie where a large cast are in peril, and that you need to have kind of, you need to have a, a few deaths that you maybe don't see coming or, 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 or establish some deaths early on where you're like, okay, right, everybody everybody can can, can buy it here. Anybody can be killed. And there is a, without going into spoilers, there is a character early in the film who you think will be the emotional heart of the movie and he's just taken like that in an instant. You're like, oh, shit, right. So now when you get to the end and you get to the whole, you know, action parts of the movies, which sometimes can be a bit boring, especially if you're just assuming that everybody's going to survive, it actually makes it more interesting because there is characters that you do want to, to make it out of there. Uh, John C. Reilly being, being the main one. Interesting. That's the sort of the Ned Stark Game of Thrones premise there that yes. you're, uh, you're talking about. Andy Harrow, what is your view? How have you been getting through lockdown? So my view is that we lockdown and the pandemic has proved that there's nothing worse than a celebrity with nothing to do uh, and with time in their hands. Oh my goodness. Goodness me. Uh, some of the stuff that's come out, uh, I don't know if any of you watched any of that music thing last week, the sort of NHL, I don't know, it was the Lady Gaga uh, fronted thing and then the, the BBC co-opted with three hosts and spent the majority of the time just 
doing a basic children in need with some some music, but the music was terrible. Like if you ever thought, you know, there was a there was a couple of sort of interesting people on it, but two or two or one apart from Elton John, they were thoroughly boring. The, the, the whole thing is either so 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 they were either doing covers, which was a, just a massive vanity project, because all they were doing because there was no in, instrumentation, they were just belting it out. What or, acapella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I mean. Nobody ever buys an a cappella album because it would be the most boring 50 minutes of your life. So they were either doing that, basically, or, uh, or maybe they had a, a piano, or, uh, yeah, they had, a, a wee, they had somebody on the piano, they were playing the piano, and uh, they were basically plugging their latest single. And it was just not fun at all. Uh, apart from Elton John, who kind of gave the impression that he is still doing coke and... Uh, <laughs> I saw that. He was just shouting <laughs> uh, syllables. He was just yes. he, I saw that. He was he was going hundred miles an hour just shouting syllables. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm I know the lyrics. I, I would I would uh, anyone who could who's never heard that song doesn't know the lyrics. Would try and write down the, the lyrics to that song after hearing the Elton John version from that. I it'll just be a, a muddle of vowels and uh, syllables, as you say. Um, that wasn't very good. There was a whole bunch of people that did. Um, Foo Fighters song the other week as well. Uh, imagine oh. as well. Oh, oh yes, the, imag- the Imagine. imagine. See, see we've, it's happened so often now that we've kind of forgotten about the, the worst of the genre, which was the Imagine one. That was horrendous, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. It, it, it's, that, it's that thing about celebrities having, they don't know what to do with their time, and, and they've got that sort of level of self-importance that they think that this is going to bring a smile to all the plebs that uh, you know can't sing or act, but... I mean, it did bring a smile, but not for the not for the reasons they thought. That that Imagine thing was uh, abhorrent. It was just the thing that like we're all in this together. Like fuck off! If you're in the same <laughs> the situation as the rest of us, yeah, saying that from the big mansions. Um, yeah, it was not good. The, the only it, I've I've seen some of the comedy stuff as well, and in fairness, I don't mind that so much because people like that are you know not multimillionaires generally. So at least. At least that's something that they're trying and uh, try to keep things keep things going. But yeah, generally when it's been a kind of a multi-millionaire celebrity musician or actor singing, no thanks. Don't want any more of that, please. Before we go to you, Duncan, I'll just quickly jump in with my view. And my view is there are some absolute toot on Netflix. Now, I have, because I'm in lockdown, I've found myself just, just putting ra- movies on at random and watching them over the course of the day. And I've been writing down everything I've watched since for, for the last like like three weeks. Now I can't confess to having like actively participating in watching these movies because I'm working from home at the moment. So I've got them on in the background whilst I'm working and then occasionally dip in and out. But in terms of it's, it's the horror genre that I've taken a peculiar interest in. And the, there is there is a lot of dread on Netflix for every say for every uncut gems, for instance, or every Irishman. There's about 400 of these terribly low-budget movies that have just been dumped on onto Netflix. So listen, I'll give you, I'll go through them. Right when, from when I first started going into the horror genre, uh, I watched um, Hannibal and Red Dragon back to back. So I thought, well, let's let's try something a wee bit different here. So we've gone for uh, As Above, So Below, Look Away, Hellfest, Bloodline, The Pyramid, Would You Rather, Peelers, Escape Room, Apostle, The Monster. Diary of the Dead, AMI, The Prodigy, Unfriended, Wounds, Temple, The Doll, Polaroid, Orphan, Thriller, Maniac, Deliver Us From Evil, Awaken the Shadow Man, Death Note, 
XX, Jeepers Creepers 3, it happened again. Ouija, The Possession, Carrie, 2002 television remake. The Visit, Before I Wake, Down a Dark Hall, Bedeviled, Satanic, Hush, The Influence, The Open House, He's Out There, The Strangers, and The Unborn. Any of them any good? Yes, yes. There's a couple in there that, that, that are good. I'll, I'll say that most of them are rubbish. Most can, of them are rubbish. The ones can, I ask, thought- can I say, sorry, Craig, can I say, you mentioned, I don't know if you'll, you'll mention them, but two of my most hated films are amongst that list, so I'm okay. interested to see if they... But, okay, well, I'll tell you the ones I thought were quite good, right? The, the, the best one there was The Apostle, which is sort of uh, very similar to The Wicker Man. It's about a, a guy's sister, has, this is set in like, uh, the early 1900s, a guy's sister has been kidnapped and, and sort of like uh, spirited away to a remote island off the coast of Wales where there's a new community building. So he goes covertly with intention of rescuing her. And it's, there's a lot of blood magic, blood sacrifice. Martin Sheen's in it. Uh, Jamie Higgins, who is in the thick of it, plays Jamie. Is it just Jamie Higgins? Well, no, the guy plays Jamie from, from, from the, the thick of it. Anyway, he's in it. And it's very good. There was one scene in it that I was genuinely uh, upset by. It was uh, pretty pretty... Horrible. That's good. Um, the monster was good. Good relationship there between a, mo- a daughter and our uh, alcoholic mother. Um, thought the possession was quite good, actually. Uh, uh, is it Jeffrey Dean Morgan? He was very good in that. And uh, Hush. That was all right. The worst ones, uh, they were the best. The worst one, the one was yesterday called He's Out There. And it's a mother trying to protect her two daughters from somebody trying to get into the house. And the daughters squeal the whole time. Imagine that's how most children would react if that situation, if you had someone with an axe trying to get into the house. But the daughters just squealing. It's just, just horrible to listen to. You've got all this to look forward to, Andy. Uh, the other one, like the, the Carrie 2000 remake. That was just basically a movie that didn't need to be made. Jeepers Creepers 3 was shit. XX was really bad. That was a sort of a series of four short horror movies, but they all had female directors. Really bad. I know that's the sort of the, the, the spin. It's not because of female directors. It was just a crap crap premise. Bad movie. And um, AMI was bad. It's about a, a girl whose dead mother possesses her phone and encourages her to, to uh, kill her, uh, the people that have wronged her in her life. So really a, a mixed bag. When I, I, it turns out there's a production company called Blumhouse Productions. They One of their, probably their best movie was Get Out. They sort of take low-budget horror movies and distribute them, and one in every 20, they sort of hit gold with that. So Get Out was their, their big one, but a lot of their stuff is available on Netflix, and a lot of it is very formulaic. Not terrible, but certainly not fantastic either. Andy, what are the, your most hated movies from that yeah. list? Uh, they're two of the, probably the most famous directors on that list, but Diary of the Dead and oh, Death Proof. Uh, Diary of the Dead is the most reheated zombie rubbish ever from the guy who basically invented the zombie genre. And then uh, Death Proof. I, I really hate Death Proof. It wasn't Death Proof. Actively it, was, it was Death Note. Oh, so, oh no, sorry. I did say it in the WhatsApp. That's actually all right. Sorry, that's me thinking uh, about Death Proof. But uh, yeah, Death Note's actually okay. But, yeah, yeah, Death, Death Note is good. Death yeah. Proof is uh, really awful. I hate it. What would happen if Quentin Tarantino had directed Death Note? Where would be? <laughs> well, it would have been worse, I would suggest. <laughs> Duncan, you've been sitting on there patiently with that Johnny Cash uh, poster in the background. What is your view? He's already done it. I've already given you it. Has he? <laughs> Fuck. Oh, yeah, you were talking about the documentaries. My head's warped. This, this lockdown has absolutely warped my mind. Right, anyway, 
Fuck, sorry, Duncan. That that see that must seem really rude. I, I don't mean to be. I'm sorry. We it's, can edit all this. Out, all right. so we can edit this out, so don't worry. Um, you're not going to edit out, are you, Fowler? <laughs> no intention of editing out, do you? No. Great. That's uh, makes makes me look real ignorant. So sorry, sorry, Duncan. Anyway, we're going to move on to this is secret sauce. But instead of talking about players you've never heard of playing for teams you don't care about, we're going to talk about actors you've never heard of and movies you have no intention of seeing. Who are these actors that are flying underneath the radar? Who are these people who should be the leading men or women at some point soon? Duncan Mackay, who is your secret sauce? So I've gone for, and it's not it's not a film star, it was a documentary, um, and it was Justin Langer, who is the coach of the Australian cricket team. Now, um, the test is on Amazon Prime, and it is one of the better if, yeah, one of the very good sports documentaries. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot out there that, that are in the canon now that it, almost every single club seems to be getting their behind-the-scenes documentary. But this actually is uh, properly behind-the-scenes. It takes you from when uh, the cheating scandal that uh, enveloped um, Australian cricket. And I'll be honest, I'm not a massive cricket fan, but I've heard good things about it, so give it a watch. And they have a new coach uh, manager in Justin Langer. And by the end of about the first episode, you're like, yes, I will run through brick walls for this guy. I really like him. Um, and he just comes across as a, a, a really uh, great guy. Okay, great. Uh, Craig Fowler, what's your secret sauce? My secret sauce, I've gone for Brendan Gleeson. Uh, now, mm. So it was. I was inspired by this by watching Paddington Two, which I I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I liked Paddington it's br- One. It's brilliant. Yeah, mm. Paddington, I enjoyed Paddington One. Paddington Two might have been even better, uh, mainly because of a, a real uh, star turn by Hugh Grant, uh, who's absolutely in his element as a as a kind of uh, kind of struggling actor uh, wanting to get back to the big time, uh, who kind of steals this. Uh, still steals a book uh, without getting much of the film steals a book uh, Paddington gets blamed on it ends up uh, going to, to prison for it and uh, yeah two guys that sounds like very much like the plot of being the disaster movie <laughs> well uh, quite but I've not seen that so uh, oh, good. it's good it's uh, on par with Paddington 1 <laughs> okay. take your word for it uh, but so Brendan Gleeson plays Knuckles McGinty he's a, a prison chef that. Uh, it terrifies the life of all the other prisoners. And so what struck me about the performance was the kind of, the ability to kind of just go in very kind of niche as an actor, not niche, I don't know if it's a word, but it's kind of like the subtlety of the performance. Because we know that Brendan Gleeson can be quite an intimidating man and quite a scary man in other, other things he's been in. He's kind of got, despite the fact he's, he does so well in, in comedic roles, he's got the kind of build and face and demeanour of somebody who should have been typecast as angry henchmen. So we know it could, it could be genuinely scary and unsettling to the viewer, but obviously this is a family film, so it needs to be kind of scary, but also just have that little kind of edge of comedy on it as well, even though he's not even saying anything comedic for some of it. He just has to be scary, but not be scary too scary for children to, to watch it and not be too unsettling. And he manages to do that perfectly, and... Obviously, the film as well is a comedy film. It's uh, the best things about the, both Paddington films is their ability to do so much physical comedy and to do it so well. And that that's really the style of the show. And he he obviously helps with that as well. But it just also got me thinking of just other other things he's in because he's pretty much great in everything. 
He can be, he, he's not, he talked about a leading man. He has been a leading man in films, but not necessarily big films. He's, he's not somebody who who would just kind of, you know, he could put his name on a poster and everybody would go see it. And that's a bit of a shame because he certainly has the talent to, to pull it off as if, as shown in The Guard and uh, Calvary. Uh, two really different films, but both equally as good. And even every time he's in a supporting role as well, he just seems to turn the film up a few notches, like, for example, 28 Days Later or The Edge of Tomorrow. Very good in Bruges as well. Yes. He is the, to, to, to borrow a phrase from you, he is the emotional heart of that movie. Yes, he is. Well, you're all on tenterhooks there. My secret sauce is an actor called Lakeith Stanfield. Probably not the, the most household of names, however, I, and I've only seen him in, in three things. However, I've been hugely impressed with, with anything I've seen him. He, uh, the first time I saw him was in the movie Get Out. He plays Andre Hayworth, the guy who's kidnapped at the, the start of the movie and then pitches up at the, the home basically as a, a white man in a, a black man's body. And he gives a very unsettling performance in that. And then I saw him later in Uncut Gems. He played uh, Damani in it, uh, sort of um, Adam Sandler, Howard Ratner's right-hand man who's dealing with, uh, what's the basketball player's name? Is it Kevin Garrett? Garnett. Kevin Garnett, and he's a sort of the middleman between the two of them, and, and he's, he's very good. Uncut Gems is amazing. It's a, a real 10 out of 10 movie, and, and his performance really adds to it. And I saw him uh, later in the week in, in Death Note and, and was thoroughly impressed by him. And having looked at his body of work, he's also been in Knives Out, which I think is quite spoken highly of, uh, a TV show called Atlanta. Uh, he's also been in Bojack Horseman, which uh, a lot of um, sad white guys like. So uh, just a, a really impressive body of work from him, and I really um, hope to see him more. He's only 28, so he's got years and, and, and years ahead of him, and I, uh, I look forward to, to seeing more of his stuff. Andy? My, my, my mate Chris Finn is a big fan of Bojack Horseman, but I think a uh, sad, sad white guy is maybe the, the best description of Chris. <laughs> uh, it's, like, it's one of those things. I, there's, there's loads of things there that I have no intention of watching, like Bojack Horseman. You see it advertised on Netflix. Like, this really isn't for me. Uh, Atlanta, I really do not like Donald Glover slash Childish Gambino. I think he's a tryhard. I think he's a teacher's pet. I want nothing to do with him. And so I will not be watching his TV show. That's the ironic thing about picking Lakeith Stanfield because he, he's, I think he's at his best in Atlanta. I think he's brilliant at it. Well, I'll never know, Craig, because uh, like I say, I will not give... Donald Glover wants me to watch his stuff and I'm not going to do it. That's what he wants. That's what oh, he well, wants. Oh, well, at least you, at least you can watch Badil Syndrome again instead of that. <laughs> Why, do, why is Badil Syndrome the stick that I constantly get beat with? Give it, is, is, nobody's watched it here. Give it a chance. Seen enough of the clips you posted to, to know not uh, to watch it. Uh, it's, uh, but, but if you were to watch it, you, that's, that's, that's Badil Syndrome out of context. You need to see it, fully immerse yourself in the episode and get all the nuance and all the, 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 the character interactions. It really is a, a stunning piece of work. But we've heard enough about Badil Syndrome. We've heard enough about Lakeith Stanfield. We haven't heard enough from Andy Harrow. Andy, who is your secret sauce? Peter Bradshaw. And <laughs> 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 Badil Syndrome. What a turn. <laughs> that would be, uh, nobody else will get that. Um, but no, no, my, my real one is uh, Florence Pugh. We have, uh, so mm. I guess we are slightly behind the Hollywood curve that Hollywood kind of noticed her a couple of years ago, but over lockdown we've watched a couple of her films um 
Lady Macbeth in Midsummer. She's also in Little Women, which I haven't seen yet, and uh, she's due to be in uh, Black Widow whenever that finally comes out, um, the the Marvel film. But yeah, Lady Macbeth. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but it's uh, she's incredible. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's incredibly bleak. Um, it's a, a unbelievably bleak story, uh, but it's pretty much all um, Florence Pugh in it, and she is uh, she's absolutely incredible in it. And uh, again, in Midsummer, she kind of she's the the main lead in that, along with Jack Rayner, um, who's in um, a couple of he was in one of the Transformers films and a couple of other bits and pieces. Um, it, uh, she is again, she's really great. She's just so. Uh, she plays kind of different roles. I mean, Lady Macbeth, her role in that's completely different to in Midsummer, but you can believe her character in both of them. Um, she seems quite normal as well. Like, I, I, I don't know her background and everything, but she seems relatively normal. She kind of comes across as um, uh, somebody you could believe as these these people. Um, and she's just, yeah, she's just incredibly good. And I think Hollywood have kind of realised that now and started casting her in loads of, uh, loads of big things. So I imagine she'll be... Uh, fairly, fairly famous in the next year or two. But yeah, I, I really not noticed her too much. She was on, she was on some TV show in the BBC last year. It's the first time I'd ever seen her in anything um, with uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, it was a kind of spy thing, but she was good in it. But the, the show itself isn't that great. But the uh, the two films I've seen over the last few weeks, um, it's kind of really shown how how great she is. I, I I haven't seen what uh, the stuff that you've seen of her, but uh, I thought she was quite impressive in a supporting role in Outlaw King, uh, where she plays Robert the Bruce's wife, and she was good as the lead in Fighting with My Family. That's right, she's in that. I've not seen that one, but yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she, 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 she seems like she's kind of on, she's one of those people that seems like she's on a kind of upward trajectory now. So uh, yeah, once you're in a Marvel film, you've kind of made it I suppose <laughs> before we move on to the next section Duncan can we get your secret sauce <laughs> <laughs> just winding you up that time I'm just winding you up that time now this next section you've heard of Battle Royale where we take two players to football teams and pit them against one another we are now going to do the same with movie stars slash directors slash anyone that's not necessarily football. Now, to kick things off, I am going head-to-head with Mr. Andrew Harrow. We are talking about the battle of the Paul Andersons. I'm going for Paul Thomas Anderson. You are going for Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> what do we do? You've got how long? 60 seconds, Fowler? This is, this yeah, let's, let's go for 60 seconds. I've got, I've got a time here so I can show you. Right, that. so brilliant. So the way it'll work then... Uh, Andy will go first. Oh, do you, Andy, do you want to go first? You, 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 you go first because you've got the open goal, so you go, you go first. I don't know, man. Uh, I've watched Resident Evil Afterlife on this thing. I think that, that maybe that, I heard of Magnolia, Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Glove. I think Resident Evil Afterlife might have a shout. But, right, so we'll make a point and we'll let uh, Fowler in time and Duncan Mackay, you can arbitrate them. Okay, I'm sure this, this, looks, uh, this looks great in the television. We'll see how it translates to uh, a podcast. Just uh, let me know when I'm ready, Fowler. Right, ready, go. Paul Thomas Anderson is considered to be the best director of not just his generation, but one of the best directors of all time. He has a, a quite a small body of work, but generally considered to be some of the best movies in, in history. He made my favourite movie, uh, There Will Be Blood, which uh, got Daniel Day-Lewis one of his three Academy Awards. 
he's the only actor to, to have won that many awards, and he was scintillating as a oil man Daniel Plainview. And really, Paul Thomas Anderson really drew this performance out of him. But it's not just all about There Will Be Blood. He started off making a small, short movie called Hard Date. Then the next movie was Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is universally acclaimed uh, look at the, the porn industry. Then there's Magnolia, a stunning ensemble cast movie. He also followed up that was Punch Drunk Love, which actually made Adam Sandler look good. Uh, only other than, than really uncut gems, Adam Sandler's made direct throughout his entire career. But he made Adam Sandler look a good character with that. Recent movies have included The Phantom Thread and Inherent Vice. And, uh, Time's up. I expect him to do more. Right, Andy, you ready? Uh, give me two secs. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the sound of the Wikipedia page loading up there. <laughs> oh, man, I, there's not enough time to go through his Wikipedia. <laughs> right, three, two, one, go. Where you're going, you won't need eyes. It's both a line from one of Paul W.S. Anderson's films and, you could argue, a handy bit of advice for assessing his film all the day. Or so this next would have you believed. Uh, he has made two solidly enjoyable horror films, which the other Anderson hasn't made one at all. Not even Wes Anderson. Uh, neither of them have made any good horror films. He's made two. Event Horizon was fine. Resident Evil, the first one, is also fine. <laughs> He made Resident, uh, sorry, Alien vs. Predator, which is not fine, but not as deeply unpleasant as Alien vs. Predator 2. And again, <laughs> P.T. Anderson has not made an Alien film. Uh, he's a director of balls. He made Three Musketeers in 3D for no reason. He keeps going back to make video games, even though they're always ter- terrible. And he's not a man who plays the field or makes lecherous approaches towards interns. Why? Because he puts his wife Mila Jovovich in absolutely every film he does. Uh, is P.T. Anderson doing that? Who knows? I don't think so. Uh, Also, he said... So this is a this is a difficult one in the sense that Andy's uh, Andy's argument was was far more entertaining, but there was far more caveats as to the quality <laughs> of the work. So, um, oh, is it? Yeah, I think. I ha- <laughs> A qualified Craig Tell forgets it, but he's really going to have to up his game in future battle royals. You, you ever seen There Will Be Blood or Punch Drunk Love? Have you ever seen Resident Evil? I've seen Punch Drunk Love. That was, I took a I took a date to. It. All right, tell us more. Yeah. But we, we're not together. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that's, that's, that's all we need to know. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, you're right in terms of he cast Mila Jovovich in every film. She plays Alice. The sort of, uh, she's not part of the Resident Evil video game series, but they, they brought her into it and she's got superpowers. It's rubbish. Resident it's, Evil bad. The, the Resident Evil films are genuinely... The, the ones after the first one are, are actually completely incomprehensible. I, I don't have a clue what is happening if the plot's in any of the ones after the second one. And the, the, the strange thing is, like, the video games, the video games are incredible and they're really cinematic and they really lend themselves to this medium, you know, to be adapted for it, but they've really put it in the, 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 the wrong hands. It's like a lot of the score as well as, like, rock music, and I think that's one of the lamest things you can do, is have rock music for score. Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson has Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead compose his movies. Paul Thomas Anderson, I that, I, yeah. Holly Valance is a lead actor in that film. <laughs> was that Dead or Alive? Uh, no, it was. Um, yeah, sorry, it was. I think the computer game fighting one. Yeah, he also he's also had Luke Goss twice in one of the Death Race, two of the Death Race films. 
So he's not blessed with. In fact, actually, I had a look through. He's actually had some incredible people in his films, but he also has some dross. Well, that's good. So that's I probably say like uh, I feel like um, I was the. If this was a cup tie, I would be like the equivalent of like Aberdeen. Andy, you'd be the equivalent of four for Athletic, and I beat you one nil unconvincingly. The fans are really getting in the players' backs after that one. Aye, Andy had a really great performance with what ultimately journeyman, whereas uh, you had class but chose not to use it. Yeah, well, as they say, form is temporary, class is permanent, mate. You'll do <laughs> also, well to also you're, you're horribly dismissive of Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore's shite, come on. <laughs> like, no. Classic. Happy Gilmore, all the Adam Sandlers. I mean, have you ever seen uh, That's My Boy or Jack and Jill? No, I've heard they're terrible. Oh, man, they're so, they're so bad. And it's astonishing that, that, I suppose, that was made in 2002, Punch Drunk Club. Uh, whereas uh, Uncut Gems was made in 2019. It's astonishing to think that there's been nearly 20 years between his uh, two two best performances. Was uh, Jack and Jill the, the one where there might have been a bit of a uh, wheeze where he managed to get paid twice? Yeah, I was, what I'll do is there's a, there's a guy, he's a, a YouTube channel I watch called Red Letter Media, and they did an in-depth review of Jack and Jill and basically pointed out it was like a giant Ponzi scheme the movie would cost like $60 million to make and to watch it, you're, you're astonished to, to fathom where the money was spent and how it was done. It's just, it's incredibly badly made. But worth, the, the review's worth watching. The review's worth watching. But anyway, enough about uh, Paul Anderson, be it Thomas or WS. I don't know what the WS stands for. Um, we're going to pit now Craig Fowler versus Duncan Mackay. What is um, your chosen no, subject? We, we don't have anything. Duncan never got back to me. Oh, shit. <laughs> My bad. Miller wins. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what victory is. <laughs> I'll take it. Right, well, Fowler wins by default. So, there you go. You should... Uh, you know what? This is like... Cake Fowler is Scotland. Duncan McKay, you are Estonia. <laughs> oh, we, that means we're going to have to replay in Monaco at some point. Well, yeah, at some point, but not today. So, not today. thanks, thanks very much for turning up. Now, we're going to finish up the show with what to watch. Oh, no, you've missed, a, you've missed a section. Oh, I missed a section? What, have I, what, what section have I missed? Uh, what grinds my gears? Oh. Okay, well, we're not going to fit them. We're going to, we're going to continue this sloppy jalopy with what grinds my gears. And as it says in the tin, what, what annoys us? What sticks in your craw? What rubs you up the wrong way? Andy Harrow, what rubs you up the wrong way? Uh, what rubs me up the wrong way is mucking about with a winning formula in a sequel. So I don't know uh, if you guys have seen the first Jumanji of the kind of new version of Jumanji. Yes, but it is, yes, it's it's surprisingly good. Uh, the expectation was it would be quite bad, but actually it was pretty funny. Uh, had good action sequences, and it rattled along. It, it was it was very good, um, and it had um, four characters, so four teenage characters transported into the bodies of The Rock, Karen Gillan, Kevin Hart, and Jack Black. And the four of them were all great. They all uh, they were kind of playing against type in some cases, but they were all they were all very funny. Um, and the second one, which uh, came out fairly recently, I think, was it this year that it came out or had it been end of last year? Anyway, 
Uh, they added uh, Danny DeVito and Danny Glover, which I think would be a plus into the, the mix. But they changed around the bodies. So uh, uh, at one point, Jack Black is trying to sound black, which is still you know not that great. Uh, and The Rock is putting on a bad New York accent. And it just doesn't really work. The action sequences are still fine, but it just doesn't really work for the first 45 minutes or so. And then, a slight spoiler, they all go back to normal and their, their, their previous bodies at some point through the film. And it just kind of settles down and everyone is far more comfortable. It starts being far more funny. And it's just like, you just didn't need to make any changes to it. It was fine. Change the story around it, that's fine. But just keep all the good things that worked. Uh, and, and films have got a habit of doing this. You know, uh, The Matrix famously made everything more complicated and really messed about with it. Uh, Quantum of Solace was pants. You know, they, they just... There's, it is possible to have a really good sequel, but quite often uh, directors and the people involved just muck about with it too much and muck about with the, the winning formula. So that's what that's what annoyed me over the last couple of weeks. I've got interesting you talk about like like sequels because a lot of sequels are the the, the same thing happening twice. You know, it's a, like mm-hmm. it happened again. But I I, I I don't know what point I'm trying to make here. I think like my, my sort of favourite sequel. I, I, Imagine for, for a lot of people, it's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and that effectively is the same thing happening again, but just slightly better. Whereas I, I think I look at another sequel like like Train Spotting, like T2. I think that's a really good sequel in terms of it's completely different to the the first one, and it's all the better for it. You could never make Train Spotting no. a second time, so you completely do it. You, you know, you, you make it completely differently. I don't I, know. I, yeah, I think you're probably right. Aliens is one of my favourite films, and it's different from Aliens, yeah. for instance. So, so I suppose it is the way to go if you're doing a sequel. But it's but there's still kind of inherent things within these films that work. So in uh, in Aliens, you know, that plays the Sigourney Weaver's character still the main character in it, and uh, the alien still the alien. You know, they make changes around it, and they assume the Terminator. You know, the uh, Terminator Two. There's changes around it in terms of the plot and how it works, and they obviously add a, a sun into it and everything else. But the fundamental elements of it, so Arnie and um, I think his name I've forgotten, uh, who's uh, John Connor and his mum. Uh, you know, John Connor's mum's still one of the main parts, and then they don't muck about with that thing. It's when they kind of really uh, play with play with the things that work the first time that don't I've, necessarily. I've got an idea, Andy. Right, so like Jumanji three. It yep. is actually a courtroom battle from somebody who is claiming they made Jumanji <laughs> another company. And so Jumanji Jumanji's the thing, and it's like a, a courtroom battle. And so someone has to, uh, to, to, to basically, it's like the social network needs yeah, yeah. to get Aaron Sorkin to, to write it. I was, actually, that would be all right. I, th- I think my issue with it was that they probably didn't change it enough. They, they, they slightly tinkered around the edges with it, I suppose, and that they changed some of the voices that didn't really work. And I mean, Jack Black doing a black voice is, while he's looking white, is not great. And it is hot out here. Yes, yes, it's, it's pretty much that. The um, so I think I think it's more that they tinkered down the edges with it. If they just done a full change and they change everyone, then you think, well, you didn't need to change everyone, but at least they've kind of gone full board and, and tried something different with it. And yes, I would take a, a Jumanji courtroom battle um, for the third one. No problem at all. And he says, and he goes, and they say, what's the real jungle? And he looks into the courtroom and looks down at the board. You know, something like that. So that's quite... Yeah, and the ghost, the ghost of Robin Williams is just standing in the doorway, the double doors at the bottom of the courtroom. Uh, he looks, and he thinks he's seen him. Then loads of people walk by, and it cuts yep. back to the face, and, he cuts, and Robin Williams isn't there. there you yeah. go. 
There you go. Aye, like a paranormal movie. Aye, about the ghost of Jack Parrish and his shit trainers. Just uh, frightening uh, people. Anyway, that's, we're going off topic here. We're going off topic. Uh, Duncan Mackay, what grinds your gears? What grinds my gears is, uh, as we were just... Uh, was just referenced. I rewatched uh, Train Spotting T two the the other week, and so there's 400 miles between Edinburgh and London, and there's 60 miles between Creef and Edinburgh, and yet Johnny Lee Miller has a more authentic Edinburgh accent than Ewan McGregor. It really takes you out of the watching it again is to to hear Ewan McGregor's uh, accent is Renton because there's just no one in North Edinburgh that sounds like that. Do you, think, do you think he's a good actor, Ewan McGregor, just slightly? No. He was good. He's all right. Uh, I, yeah, well, I've seen it. The only star I've seen, he's brilliant as Renton. Trainspot is just an amazing movie. T2 is very good. Anything else I've seen him in, though, like as Obi-Wan Kenobi and the, the Star Wars prequels. Just I, I just, I just can't buy him. I just anytime it's like that, that sort of going back to the discussion earlier, that suspension of disbelief, he's just, he's just really bad. He was good in Shallow Grave. Aye, that, was year, that was before Train Spot. That was years ago. Yeah, I know, but it still doesn't mean that he's bad. Yeah, but well, if I was making a movie, I didn't like him in the beach. To be honest, no, that was Leonardo DiCaprio. Way. Aye, he fell out with Danny Boyle for years for that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Hollywood I... politics joke thrown in there from twenty years ago. <laughs> the streets never forget. If I was cast, when I start casting Jumanji three behind bars, <laughs> I would not want him as my uh, as my my lawyer. I do think actually, him, I, I do think Ewan McGregor is overrated. He's overrated, but then he was quite good in Fargo, the TV. Yes. So, but that was the weakest series of the three Fargos, I would say. Yeah, the the new one looks amazing though with Chris Rock. I'm very much looking forward to that. Craig Fowler, what grinds your gears? Carol Baskin somehow being painted as the num- the worst person from Tiger King. This uh, this has annoyed me a little bit. I mean, let's get this right. Let's get this right away from the start. She probably did kill her husband. <laughs> At least it seems that way. <laughs> if, I, if I had to guess, if it gun to my head. If I had to guess, I would say yes, she probably did. However, it's it's never been proven. So she deserves, as anybody does, uh, innocent until proven guilty. And there was a good article that I read that made a very good point between the way that Carol Baskin was portrayed and the reaction to her and with the the contrast between that and Joe Exotic and the 2016 presidential election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Whereas Donald Trump is the Joe Exotic character coming out with all these outlandish things, saying, doing outlandish things, and we're going, oh, what a madman, you know, so much content, so much craziness. And Carol Baskin is just kind of painted as this robotic, unemotional, manipulative person. Whereas there's a lot of things you can throw at everybody else in it, that's, and yet somehow she was the one that was kind of painted as the least sympathetic. So, I mean, if you look at Joe Exotic, uh, it's, people are like he seems to be this cult hero now uh, despite the fact that he manipulated young straight men who were drug addicts uh, into being his homosexual husbands uh, he had two of them as well uh, he was cruel to and even admitted to killing animals for his own gain and the, uh, for, the, for the betterment of the park and not the animals themselves uh, something that you despite the fact that it was never 
explicitly stated, you can never actually throw at Carol Baskin herself. She's never been accused of euthanizing any animals. She, she may keep animals in cages, but her thing is that you still have to keep them in cages. It's just the fact that she has rescued them from other places where they were being euthanized or were being mistreated more so than just being kept in a cage. And he's also found guilty of trying to have her murdered. So she's not been found guilty of anything. He has been found guilty of this. And, I mean, there's, like I say before, there's, there's, no, there's no actual proof that she did it. And yet, we're kind of just... So the, the best line for this article I read was, think about how long the show spends showing what Carol might have done and compared to what these men actually did do and in some cases continue to do. And it's just a, also it's probably just a shock that she's the only female uh, big cat zoo owner in the, in the show. I, I actually, I, I quite agree with that, considering I, I think that, that a lot of people in Tiger King, every, if I, everyone comes across badly. Yes. The only ones, the, 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 the woman who's got, who got her arm ripped off, quite liked her. She was probably the, yeah. the who was Who was misgendered throughout the, no, it's, uh, yeah, and misgendered throughout the whole process. Right, okay, well, I, I've, I've not got, right, sorry, I've not got her gender wrong, I've, their, their gender wrong, have I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a he. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. he he was the best person in it. Uh, I enjoy I enjoy watching him. He seemed like a a pretty a pretty cool person who was caught up in in all this sort of stuff. Everyone else, however, comes across terribly. Like the TV producer at the start, he reminded me of Pete Postlewaite in uh, Jurassic World. No, sorry, Jurassic Park Two, The Lost World. Um, I just everyone I just I, not a show where it was nice, but Carol Baskin certainly in terms of the bad state, she's a bit further. Down the line, I didn't think it was funny though when they uh, had the blocked doll with the dildo in its mouth from the TV show. It just, that's the the levels of like ridiculousness as to just you're sort of like how on earth is this? Uh, how on earth is this? Yeah. Tell for you mentioned the uh, the Louis Theroux documentary, and I uh, I think that's the thing. He um, Joey sort of comes off terribly in that. Louis through documentaries is somebody yeah. who doesn't care at all about animals. Like he just doesn't seem interested at all. Uh, whereas in the don't get as much of that in the the documentary, the the Netflix one, because it's all about all the mad things that go on. So you don't really see how just indifferent he is to all the animals that he's kept in it. On <laughs> in the Louis through one, you really get that. Yeah. He, he comes across more of a prick in the. Um, I mean, even despite the things that he does, he comes across as more of a prick in the Louis through one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm trying to think if there's anything that that grinds my gears at the at the moment. No, no I I, I, I uh, forgot to forgot to fill anything in for this one. I'm just generally quite a a, a dislike a dislikeable person. I've got lots of petty grievances that have uh, accrued over the years, but there's no point in getting into them just now. Um, if you want to find out more, join a WhatsApp group with me when I just uh, vent on a sort of almost hourly basis about people on Twitter who don't have the guts to, to call them out on the TL, which slag them off in the, the group chat. Well, as we said, uh, we kind of missed a step there. Uh, oh, sorry, Duncan, I forgot to ask you, what grinds your gears? Okay, third time. <laughs> I've gone back to the well for a third time, and the well is dry. <laughs> uh, we'll finish up. We'll finish up with what to watch. This is where we're going to talk about some things, that, interesting things that you can take forward into lockdown might might do you a trick over the week i'm going to go first with this one it's not what to watch it's what to listen and my tip not just for the summer but for the hope for the future of pop music is joseph i cannot get enough of joseph he is a singer songwriter from the east end of glasgow he is a, a 
big pop pop fan. He, he's gay as well, which brings a sort of interesting perspective to, to his lyrics. It certainly gives new uh, takes him on to a new dimension. And every single song I've heard from him is absolutely uh, different class. He released a new single on uh, Thursday. I'm just going to bring up the bring up the name for it. Yeah, he released a new single on, on Thursday called "The Sun Is Up Forever," and it is genuinely such a, a beautiful like balearic. Uh, sunsets it, it's so good he's, a, he's an amazing talent and I think I'd be going to seeing him this week or no next week uh, but I can't because everything's shut down um, because of the, the coronavirus but he's got a massive future ahead of him and I would highly recommend listening to him Joseph J-O-E-S-E-F you heard it here first if you haven't heard it already Duncan what is your what to watch? My what to watch is I've only just watched one episode of this show, but I uh, know that I'm going to go quite deep on it. It's the Righteous Gemstones. So it was on Sky Comedy uh, and I think is now available to stream on Now TV. So it's uh, Danny McBride's latest uh, comedy um, your show uh, falling on from Eastbound and Down and Vice Principles. And if you like those, then yeah, I think you'll, you'll be right up your street. But um, Danny McBride is the... Uh, Basically, John Goodman plays the father uh, of a family that o- that are basically own a um, fundamentalist church that you know that are into that have an arena and a, a theme park and all that sort of thing. And so it's the, the celebrity preacher sort of thing. So it's uh, Danny McBride plays the son. John Goodman's the father. Uh, Adam Devine from various things is uh, plays his brother and Edie Patterson who was most recently in Knives Out and she plays the sister that's kind of um, thwarted and not is part of the family but not because she's a because she's a girl isn't part of isn't part of the main creatures and stuff and um, yeah it's very funny so far and lots of lots of uh, knowing digs as well so look, excited to see where that goes good that sounds good uh, Andy what is uh, what's your what to watch yeah, so mine's that one that's on Sky should be on Now TV as well. It's a, a drama kind of comedy called Run. It's got Donald Gleeson and um, Merritt Weaver in it. And it's it basically uh, both of them kind of send each other texts in Run and they've, they basically just leave their kind of lives behind and their families and whatever else behind to, to meet and run away with each other. Um, and it's written... Uh, I think it's written by the person who kind of was involved with Fleabag in the theatre along with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So it's kind of got that same tone to it, I guess, or it's got a similar type of tone to it. But, uh, and both the, the main actors in it are really good. Uh, it's, only, it's only had a couple of episodes so far, but it's, it's pretty promising. So, yeah, uh, worth a watch, I would say. That sounds good. And last of all, Craig Fowler, what is your what to watch? What are you what to watching this weekend? Uh, it'll be coming out on Monday. Uh, it is the third and fourth part of the Michael Jordan documentary. So Duncan already said it is a, a bit baggy, and I, I, I certainly agree with that. I think uh, I'm, I did enjoy the first two parts, but I'm a little bit sceptical how the story's going to hold up over 10 episodes, with them all being, I think, 45 to 50 minutes each. But part three should be really good because it seems that it's going to be focusing on Dennis Rodman, who himself could... Uh, probably more so than Michael Jordan be the subject of, of a 10-part documentary series. Uh, Rodman was um, quite you know, famous in the, in the 90s for his kind of outlandish hairstyles and some of the things he got off the, off the court. Uh, but uh, he's, How's he's, Kim Jong-il, isn't he? 
Yeah, he is. He certainly is. Um, he's certainly an unusual character, but he's somebody who had quite a kind of tragic upbringing. Somebody who he never got his whole skin pierced as well, doesn't he? He, he certainly might do. I, I'm not. I'm not certain on that one. Uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. But somebody who didn't have a, a particularly happy upbringing, didn't have like a. I think he was raised only by his mother, who he didn't have a kind of loving relationship with. Uh, but somebody, despite the fact, that kind of a, a contrasting character as well. When you think of wayward sports stars, you, as footballers, we, we tend to think of the guys who are kind of like wingers or, or, or like attackers, like these kind of geniuses who have their of their demons and it kind of shows on the, the football field because they, you know, they tend to kind of lounge about They maybe don't take it too seriously. Dennis Rodman was like the opposite of that. He was somebody who, who didn't have a lot of natural talent but became such a massive NBA player, a Hall of Famer. He won at least uh, five titles. He might even won more. I can't remember if he won one with the Spurs or not. Um, but he his, his game was all around uh, what basketball fans would say, hustle, you know, rebounding, defence, uh, just throwing his body absolutely everywhere. And he's certainly somebody who should make part three very entertaining. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so, uh, oh, sorry, I was going to say, like, I've, yeah, I've been finding the first two interesting. Um, I think I, there's a few things I'm always a bit anxious, well, not anxious, but, but you, the, the, the raise questions and stuff like that. So Jerry Krause has definitely been set up as the bad guy, but you know, there's been no reference so far about the fact that He's dead, so if, you know, he's not there to defend himself, I think, which seems a bit odd editorially. Um, and again, I would, hope, I would hope we'd see more examination of Jordan as well, essentially a bully as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's it's come through a few times and stuff, but like, there's that sort of um, toxic element to how he played. Uh, as a as a human being, and you know that yeah, I, I think that what that means now and how that is adjusted because you know, he was very bullying and hectoring, and that that worked when he was still a player, but uh, and then when he but when he still had his talents, but then when he went to Washington and when he came out of retirement, um, that hectoring stuff didn't work because he didn't have the, the skills anymore. Yeah, Jordan, it's his portrayal of him, it's not really overtly stated at any point, which I guess they couldn't really do because of getting Michael Jordan to actually agree to be part of the documentary, be interviewed for it. But it's it's there, but it's more subtle. You kind of have to look at some of the old clips and kind of examine what he's saying and how he's saying it and stuff about players. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't like necessarily like when he talked about Scottie Pippen, he didn't say that Scottie Pippen was like he didn't do what most teammates would do and say that like Pippen was like for example he could say Pippen was the second best player in the NBA. Well, he was he was the best player. Uh, that might have actually been true, but Pippen was certainly up there at the time. But he, he doesn't say that. He said, he just says he was the perfect teammate, as if he was like the perfect number two to me. And also when some of the clips from. The, the, some of the tip clips of the last season so you, you see them on that exhibition game in Paris where there's the two rookies kind of joking about you know oh, we've, we've won the trophy because it's this exhibition trophy they get and Jordan just like immediately kind of snaps like the trophy don't mean shit kind of thing and then he kind of a couple of seconds later he tries to make a joke out of it but you can kind of tell in his eyes that he was a bit annoyed and he was kind of like no you can't be celebrating this we've, we're here to win a fucking championship shut up kind of thing and the, it's a story that shows you how much a maniac uh, Michael Jordan was in terms of his competitiveness. He was beaten by a teammate in a game of ping pong in front of his other teammates and then went out, bought a ping pong table and practised until he was the best player on the team. In normal behaviour, that. Yep. Yeah, really small-time stuff. 
He was a very small time guy. His Hall of Fame speech, uh, yeah, I think you can dig it out on, on YouTube. It's quite something. So Michael Jordan is obviously the most famous basketball player, the most beloved basketball player of all time. Pretty much everybody says, apart from maybe the... Apart from maybe the, the youngest generation of basketball fans would maybe say LeBron James because they've had the chance to watch him and not Jordan, but everybody else would say God Jordan's the, soul. the best player ever. Everybody else would say <laughs> LeBron James is the best, uh, sorry, Michael Jordan's the best player ever, and yet his Hall of Fame speech was all about how nobody really believed in him. That sounds just a big fan of Ted Crilly at the Golden Cleric Awards, sort of. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. And on that cheery note, listen, I've, I've, I've been great fun. It's certainly food for thought for me. And the, the people listening at home, I hope you take, even if you take one of these many recommendations on this past 60 minutes, will all have been worth it. It's been brilliant. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Andy Harrow, first of all. Cheers. Thank you. Duncan Mackay. Take care of yourselves. Craig Fowler. Thank you. And Duncan Mackay. There we go, there we go. Back in it, back in it. Fourth time's a charm. Thank you very much. I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. Stay home and stay safe. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.